The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's good to be here together. Worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. And as we, as we come together this fall, um, one of the visions I have for our church as a whole is that we would, would see that we're coming together with... Uh, with various stories to look at God's story, right? That God's story is here by his grace um, to help us to see uh, the, the bigger picture of how our stories fit into it. Like this weekend, right? We have stories that we're, we're telling. I, I've already heard someone tell me a, a quick little story of the fact that he made baby back ribs and he made too much. You know what I mean? And we're probably going to have a few stories of eating too much this, uh, this weekend, right? Um, and yet at the same time, in, in the midst of these stories of weekends and parties and family and friends, at the same time we have God's story coming in and telling us a story of grace. And really I, I want the Crossroad to be a place where our stories and God's stories intersect in grace, that we see God's grace in the midst of our lives because, because we care about each other. We want, we want to see how God's grace is in each of our lives. And it is. The, the grace of God is, is operating. It's, it's working. It's working in unique ways in each of our stories. And as we do that together, we, we, we seek to cultivate the grace that is in each of our stories so that we can be able to share that grace with one another. And we do that partially through the sermons of the Word. We, we focus in primarily here on just exposing the Word, taking you verse by verse through Scripture, helping you to see how, how God's Word helps us to see God's grace and His grace in our lives. And we also do that through community groups, exploring God's story together as we share our lives together. Of course, we do that in other ways. This weekend, uh, John Smith's going to get up a little bit later and, and share a little bit about, uh, about picking up trash and why we're doing it. Um, but, but we got to do that uh, as a family yesterday. Um, and uh, so, so we pick up trash uh, from tailgating um, as a way to benefit uh, uh, missionaries as well as our own families as well at camp. But one of the, the missionary this, this year that we're trying to help out is the, the Albrights. They just moved to Peru, and uh, there's a lot of adjustments and a lot of extra costs in moving to Peru post-COVID. And so, um, so they have a, some extra expenses, and we, we realize that everybody's got it's kind of tight right now with, with the way inflation is going. And so we're using our picking up trash to help them out. And if you'd like to help out with that, again, John's going to talk about that later. But it was fun to do as a family, um, partially because, right, uh, Annalise is seven, and uh, we're like, okay, we're going to go walk around and pick up trash. She's like, I don't want to walk around. I'm just going to stay here, you know, like, no, this was kind of planned to be an all-family event. Uh, and uh, so you're trying to figure, how do, how, do we, how do we motivate her without just being like, boom, you got you to do this. Um, and so we're like, hey, if you, well, if you pick up the, the, the uncrushed cans, you can make money. We didn't tell her it's not very much money, but, you know. <laughs> but that motivated her. She's like, oh, she's like, okay. So she went out twice. We picked up cans. We'll probably make like 15 bucks. But for a seven-year-old, 15 bucks isn't bad, right? I mean, that's not bad. But, but we get the privilege of doing that as a family, caring for missionaries together. And again, John's going to talk about that later. But it's all about sharing God's grace, not just here in Ames, but around the world. Speaking of the, the, the truth that we know in Christ, that Christ came to save sinners of whom we are chief, right? So, that we have this grace that's coming to us. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul here has been talking about speaking the truth in love and doing that in such a way that it builds up the body. But family is an area as we, that where that can be tricky, right? Because we look at our lives and we and we, we think of our marriages can be challenging and family can be challenging because of sometimes family of origin issues that just like different things pop up and you're like, why are you acting like that? It's just, well, because my parents acted like this and so I'm acting this way. And you're like, but that's not a good way to act. I don't, I don't know any other way to act. And, and so you have those kinds of issues. You just have personality conflicts. When you have people living together in close proximity with different personalities, you're going to have conflicts. And sometimes families can 
um, obviously exacerbate those issues. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about family, and he's talking about an ideal of what this, these, these families can come around and share God's grace. And why can you do that? I think the biggest thing to realize about family sometimes is that children are afraid, once they get old enough, that their parents are going to mess up their lives. Like, yeah, they just didn't do enough for me, or they didn't do this, or they didn't do that. But parents are afraid that kids are going to mess up their lives. Like, they're just not going to turn out well. I feel like my whole life's a failure. Or, man, I was just looking to have a nice kid, a good kid, and they're just too much work, maybe. But we have to realize, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, that Paul has already given us the family that truly matters to us when he says that we are adopted into God's family. That in some ways it doesn't matter about family of origin issues and some of the things that, that you say, well, this is what my parents have done and I don't like it. Or, or it doesn't matter about how your kids are going to turn out. You have this family that you're always a part of that is about grace in your life that you haven't earned or deserved, but you've been given as a gift through Jesus Christ, the family of God. You are part of his family, adopted in there. To, to know his love and his riches of, his, of the riches of his grace for eternity. And if you have this, and you know that this family is the most important family you have, and that this father, our heavenly father, is the most important father you have, then you can enter into families, not with shame, not with fear, but seeking to cultivate grace together in the story that you're embarking on as a family. Here's what I firmly believe, that God has made your family story one of his grace and mercy in the midst of brokenness. You will find brokenness in every family, but if you trust in Christ, you will see that your family story is one of his grace and mercy in the midst of it. So I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6 together and, and kind of walk through this passage and help us to see how we can cultivate grace together. So follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, this, this passage is, is flowing out of Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about the fact that we are supposed to be, be, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, and then he says, submitting to one another out of fear or reverence for Christ. And so there's this, this submission aspect that goes into just understanding that, what you're in. And so I put it this way, you can say, um, sorry, I've got to turn this on. You can say, submit to your role or submit to the relationship that you have. This idea of submission is echoed in Philippians chapter 2, where it doesn't use those words, but it says it this way. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the idea is we're looking out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And here, Paul is saying to both to children and to parents, just as he said to wives and husbands, well, except this applies to everyone. Now, as children, as parents, you have roles you need to play. Why? And you need to, because God has put you into those roles that you might experience his grace. And yes, it might not feel at times like you're experiencing his grace in your family, but you can. You can because God has designed that grace to flow in those relationships as we submit. And by that, first and foremost, what I'm saying is acknowledge that you have the relationship, that you have a responsibility in the relationship. Oftentimes it seems like in our culture overall, what we want is just, we want to, to be ourselves and to do our own thing, and we don't want to acknowledge that our stories did not start with us. <laughs> In fact, for all of us here, none of us intended to exist. 
Our, our, it's, our parents caused us to exist, right? We did not start our own story. And, and that means that our parents had influence on that story, and they, they, had, they made decisions about where you were going to live, who your initial friends were going to be, what school you were going to go to. All of those things are out, totally outside of your control, and that you're definitely a part of your story. Things that, that influence you and direct you. And you know what? You know, not only did your story not start with you, it will not end with you. The world will, will not stop existing when, when you pass away and your family, in a sense, continues. And in some ways you say, but I can't control the narrative then. I can't control how this story is supposed to go. That's one of the chief laments in Ecclesiastes as Solomon considers life. And he's like, you know, all of this is vanity if I can't control the narrative after I pass away and it goes on to my son or my son's sons and they do stupid things in my name. You know what I mean? If, if your story does not start with you and it will not end with you because people will in some ways retell your story in ways you may not like in the future, how, how, how do we live in grace? And part of what God is saying to us here is don't seek to control the story. Seek to recognize your responsibility within the story you have. That you have a responsibility that only you can fulfill. Children, you are the only children. Not, I'm not saying you're the only child, but you're the only children of your parents. You, you have, you have a, a, a joy and a, a responsibility to, to seek to honor them, to, to lift them up, to, to, to see the good that they have done and to, and to lift that up. There's no other people in the world that can do that except you to your parents. And parents, you are the only parents that your children have. Who else is there to parent them? Who else is there to lift them up? Who else is there to guide them and correct them and instruct them except you? You have this responsibility. You have this that you, you must and it sets me to, if you can't, if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it much more poorly than you will. Not because you are perfect, but because God has given you that role to play. And so, so if we <laughs> are tempted to be like, well, my parents birthed me and they raised me, but now I'm my own person and I'm just going to forget about my parents, we're, we're ignoring God's instruction to children. Honor your parents. <laughs> and if we're like, well, I had kids, but they're just not that important, or when they're 18, then they're out of the house, I don't care. They're no longer my kids, they're on their own. No, your parents for life, in a sense. And you have that role, and it, even though it changes as, as your children become adults, you have that role for life. And so we, we shouldn't step away from that responsibility, but we instead should instead de decide to, to embrace that, to, to see the, the opportunities that we have. In the midst of this, I just want to point out a couple of things in the text that are important to this, this, this idea and this first point. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So he's saying, hey, there's, there's not only, in a sense, are we supposed to obey your, your parents in the Lord, that is... Your parents are still under God's authority. If, if your parents are telling you to do something outside of God's authority, then you have the right to challenge them to think about that. But, but there is that sense of, for this is right, it's just good. Everybody recognizes, in that sense, that when your parents give you instructions that are good instructions, you obey them. You don't fight them. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment and this promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And it says, fathers... You know, the word fathers here could be translated parents. It's, it's sometimes, the, the, word is, the word is literally father, but it's plural, so it's fathers, and in context it could mean parents, but most of the time it's translated fathers. I think that's for at least two reasons. One is, the father in that culture was the, the man of, uh, in some ways had absolute authority in his home. He could do whatever he pleased. He had that, 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 that sense of, uh, I'm in charge here, I can do what I please, and in some senses, like, like he's God in his own home. 
king in his own domain. And here specifically, God is telling fathers, you are not king in an ultimate sense. I am still king. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is still my domain. This is still something that you're responsible to me for. And yet at the same time, just as it says, husbands are head of their wives, in that sense, fathers, you have an, an extra sense of responsibility. It is your particular responsibility to make sure that your home is, is led and directed toward honoring God first and foremost. And if you don't acknowledge that responsibility, if you don't accept that responsibility, you will find that your home will honor and serve ultimately. Even if it honors and serves you, it will ultimately honor and serve you no longer when it breaks up because you are not honoring the God of your fathers. And so, so we, we have to submit in that sense to the roles God wants us to play in this process. And, and I get the fact that that, that pr- produces a certain amount of vulnerability. Like if I'm supposed to fulfill this role, to, to, to take on this responsibility, but I can't control how my kids respond, or I can't control how my parents respond, then, then, it, then I'm vulnerable. I, I can feel like I've failed. I can feel like this is, this is a lot of shame involved in my family, and I wish that my that, that would, would be different. And I, I get that. Families can be challenging. There's a lot of hurt and pain that come when people don't honor God in their families. But here you have the opportunity to pour grace into a situation. And so I want to look, first of all, at just this children's side and then the parent side and, and show you how Paul is, is encouraging you to pour grace into your particular situation. And to do that, let's talk to children first and say it says to live honor to live honor, okay, is I think what he's saying here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now that honor is the idea of to, to, to show the value of, to, to lift up and respect, just as it says in earlier passages, to, res, to bring respect. So here children are to bring respect into the relationship between them and their parents. And he gives a lot of motivation here for doing this. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And it's not saying that there's no other promises attached to commandments, but that this one is in, in, is in that sense in, in regard to the benefit of obeying it. And then it says that it may go well with you and that you may bring, live long in the land. Now, this is a key concept. Why is this a promise? What's going on here to honor your parents that you may live long on the land? Well, in, in Exodus uh, through Deuteronomy, God is guiding his people into the promised land. He wants to establish them in homes. He wants to give them security and stability. He wants to provide for them through them living in the promised land and, 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 and following his rules. But cl- as you read through the Pentateuch, what you realize is repeatedly Moses is telling them, look, you're going to going into the land, but you can lose the land. You can lose that sense of stability. You can you lose that sense of grace if, if you don't realize that, that you need to follow God's commands. If you don't follow God's commands, you could be kicked out of the land. This, here's a good passage that talks about this in Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 22 says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. <laughs> a pretty dramatic picture, right? May not vomit you out. It's, it's a, it, obviously, the land is not a person, but it's, 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 it's providing that sense of, of interaction between you and the land in such a way that if you don't understand that if you don't follow God's rules um, and how he wants you to live, that God's going to be like, well, yeah, I don't want you living here anymore. You know what I mean? And he's going to, in a sense, push you out of the land. Verse 23 says, And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I'm driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. Right? He's saying, look, I'm using you to drive out the people of the land because they did all of these things that I didn't want them to do. And so I'm driving it out and put you in. But if you 
do these same things. And part of what he's saying here is if you don't honor your parents, then the land is going to look at you and say, wow, the, the, the people who provided life to you, the provide, people that provided protection and provision to you, and, and yet you didn't honor them? Then why should you live here anymore? You see this even in the, one of the key passages for parents in Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over and to possess it. Notice again he's saying, you want to you possess the land, you want to stay in the land, then you're going to keep the commandments that God wanted you to keep. That you may fear the Lord your God, that you and your son and your son's son. See that, that, that progression there of family, right? By keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I commune you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, it's not saying that everyone who does God's commands lives a long life. What it's saying is, it's saying is that you can live in the land for a long time, you and your sons and your sons. Like this, this, this family can survive, this legacy can, can be passed on as long as you're living according to God's word. Now, how does that apply here in what Ephesians 6 is talking about? Well, can I just make a quick comment here, right? Um, we, we live in a world that has a lot of theories about how the land is doing, right? If you use the word, term global warming, you, have, you get a lot of different reactions as to whether it exists, whether it doesn't exist, what it means, who's responsible for it. I mean, you could list, you know, I, I don't have hands, I don't have fingers enough to talk about all the issues that come up in, your, in our minds, right? Can I just make this point, though? For Christians, we understand that if a people does not obey God's laws, they can be kicked out of the land. The land will, in that sense, vomit them out in various ways. And as Christians, we should engage that reality and encourage a love for family, even honoring those who, who are sometimes don't deserve honor. And, that, and that's part of the issue that we have here, right? Is, not, is that all of our parents are flawed. They all have made mistakes. They all do things that aren't perfect. And here, uh, Paul is, is, is encouraging his readers in the Ephesian church, look, honor your parents is not, is not a command that means only honor them if they are perfect. <laughs> it means honor the role that they took on. They took a lot of risk having you as a child. They took a lot of expense on. They took a lot of their life to pour into you. And they, the, one of the biggest things they're doing is helping you understand God's rules, hopefully. I mean, this is, in a sense, assuming a Christian family, in a sense. It really is in the passage. It's assuming a Christian family, saying they're there to, to help you understand how to have a legacy and how to have stability and how to, how to live justly in the land so that it can be passed on and, and stability can happen in your children. You'll say, well, what if I didn't have Christian parents? What if they didn't? Almost every parent seeks to teach their child some system of justice, to say, this is worth doing, <laughs> and this is not worth doing. This is good to do. This is not good to do. And we should honor our parents for their sacrifices, honor our parents for their, uh, their, their willingness to, to pass on something of what they know about life to, to their children. Why? Because... Unless your parent is truly evil, they want good things for you. They want you to have a legacy. They want you to be able to live a long, successful, stable life. And children, you should honor your parents for doing that. Not out of their perfection, but out of their desire and their role to pass that on. Why? Why do you do that? Because when you do that, you create this space for grace, for you to see how God is at work in your family, even with all of its issues, to help you to see grace, to be able to operate in God's world, and to live in that world in such a way that you can pass that on to your children. This is a good thing, that parents who are imperfect seek to love their children and pass on a sense of what God says to their children. 
It's not about perfection because grace is not about perfection. It's about seeking and understanding God's love for us and passing it on. So if I would encourage children, I would say, honor what you can. Find the good things that your parents have done and honor them for doing it. Second, don't blame them for your own issues. (laughs) Yes, they have passed on some of their issues to you, but you still have responsibility for how you operate in your world before God. Don't don't simply pass the blame. That's what started in the garden (laughs) when Eve blamed Adam and Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent and everybody tried to pass the buck. Don't do that. Realize the grace you have received and build from it. So, children, in regards to your parents, live honor. Notice the good that they have done and honor them for it. By doing so, you create stability in the land you live in. And you honor God as well. So let's look at parents at the same time. I'm going to skip uh, the rest of Deuteronomy 6 here and go to parents. And the word that, that I'd write parents to remember is to nourish instruction. To nourish instruction. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this word for bring them up is the same word that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 5 when he tells husbands that no one ever hates his own body but nourishes it and cherishes it. That word for nourish in Ephesians chapter 5 is the same word here used for parents. Parents bring them up or nourish them. And so I'm going to use that nourish concept here because it, it provides that sense for bringing something of, of like a plant. You're, you're, you're saying it's going to take a while, but I'm going to get this tomato plant over this summer to grow and thrive and hopefully produce tomatoes, right? And so you nourish it. You provide daily water and you provide daily food and daily sun and, and you seek to make sure that the, the plant is, is healthy and strong and it takes attention over time, And that's what nourishing is about, attention over time. But what are you nourishing? And here, specifically to fathers, but in general to parents overall, he's saying, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These two words are are fairly interchangeable, but their discipline overall is a positive word saying, learn all the things that are involved in in doing things well, (laughs) okay? And the word instruction is, 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 again, basically the same thing overall, but it, it's more, a little bit more negative in connotation. It says, what? warn them of, of, of how things could go bad if they don't. And so you have two ideas that are talking about this idea of, of providing instruction to your children by both teaching them what is good, and not just teaching, but showing the pattern, living it out before them. And that in instruction is warning them at times, but again, teaching them the truths. And it says the, the nurture and admission or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, your goal as a parent is not to produce your own rules, It's you help your children to understand they live in God's world, that God has a way that he operates in his world and that we all have to live in that world because we are his creatures. He made us. We are his. And here, to nourish instruction, Paul says, first of all, don't provoke them to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, one of the biggest things this means, I think, overall is, broadly speaking, you keep your word you do what you say you'll do, and you don't do what you say you don't do. Because one of the quickest ways to provoke your children to anger is to break your word. And you say, well, as a parent, man, there's many times when I'm like, I need to go back on my word. <laughs> okay, then talk to your kids and walk through that if you absolutely need to. Proverbs talks about that. There's wise ways to be like, hey, I made a mistake. Can we talk about this? How can, we, how can we rectify this? But what he's saying is when you say don't provoke them to anger, is like don't use your authority in arbitrary, unnecessary ways. We, we sometimes, especially when they're young, you know you have to. You, not in the sense of arbitrary or not necessary, but in the sense of you, you're not, when, to a one-year-old, you're not sitting there and saying, okay, I know you don't totally understand this, but... This is the rule, and you have to follow it. 
Not when they're one. You say, this is the rule. Don't do this. They can't understand all the explanation. But then, as they get older, you're adding more and more explanation so they can understand why you're saying what you're saying. Another way that we provoke our children to anger in some ways is just not knowing who they are, not knowing their personality, not knowing their needs. When I have, I have seven kids, I have to understand that, that each one of them is different. I can't treat them all the same. If I treated Tad like he'd treat Annalisa, it would provoke both of them to anger. And so understanding who they are, paying attention to their individual needs... So like, for instance, when Annalisa, on this, after the first go-around of picking up trash, was like, I'm done, we didn't like, well, too bad for you, you're going out again. We're like, okay, just to stay with her, you know, right, because she's only seven, we understand this. But she did go out the third time when we went out the third time, we had one of the other kids stay back, because they were tired. You know, it's, it's just understanding your kids' needs and where they're at, and not expecting more of them than what they can handle. Now, for a young parent, this is difficult because I know with our first two children, they were 14 months apart. And by the time they're five or six, you're like, hey, I'm expecting a lot of you. And in some ways, I'm expecting too much at too young of an age. Pay attention. Yes, I get it. At that age, they can get angry with you and be wrong. But sometimes they can be angry with you and be right <laughs> because you're expecting too much. So don't provoke them to anger. And it means more, therefore, than just teaching them the rules. You know, a kid who needs to learn about fire, you know the best way to do that? Take him to the boundary waters and be like, hey, it's cold. Let's build a fire. <laughs> and they build a fire and they realize there's certain rules to fire, right? Like, don't hang your socks over the fire. They'll get burnt and you'll have holes in your feet, you know. But they'll also appreciate the value of fire. Sometimes I think, so, as parents, sometimes we, well, just go, we got to get the rules across. And, no, teach the rules in the context of life. They value the rules when they make sense and they realize, oh, this is important. Fire can kill me or fire can help me or fire can make my life miserable if I don't pay attention. All of those are important. And so part of what he's saying here in, in, to parents is when he says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, what, what he's saying is, is you have to live it with them. You can't be just like, well, God says this, you better do it, but don't, don't pay attention to my example. That's not going to work. You have to live it with him. You have to submit to living on a day-to-day -day basis before the Lord, before your kids. And so how do we do this? I'm just going to use an extended illustration about this and, and get into this, because this is all about wisdom. This is a wisdom. He, he says, walk in wisdom, and he says, be filled with the Spirit. This is all the wisdom passages. So he's talking about how to do this, and it's about kind of understanding the balancing things you have to do, especially as the one who's in charge, as the parent. One of the best ways I know to illustrate this is to look at The Hobbit in Tolkien. If, if, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien, he's a, an author who wrote The Lord of the Rings, which you might be more familiar with, or The Hobbit, which has now been made into famous movies, right? Um, but you may not know that The Hobbit was written as a children's book. So he was, really, he was writing it to, in, in thinking about children. And um, in the book, you have, just to give you a quick synopsis, you have this hobbit who's kind of uh, shorter than most normal people, but has big feet. Think uh, someone who's 10 or 11, right? They've not quite hit puberty yet, but their feet are already big, you know? You know it's a, there's correlations between hobbits and kids. It's definitely there. Um, but the, the hobbit has not been on an adventure. And so uh, Gandalf the wizard comes along and says, hey, you need to go on this adventure. He doesn't want to go, but he gets, in a sense, tricked into going, and he takes off with these dwarves, and they're going. He finds out he's along to be the burglar for this, where he's supposed to break into uh, a dragon's lair, steal something from a dragon, and, and allow the dwarves to kill the dragon. <laughs> Talk about adventures, right? And so the story goes along, and just to cut the story short, eventually that's the, the dragon is killed, they... 
the, the dwarves get their home again, just get that part of it short. But, but in the story, there's two types of evil that are present. That Tolkien wants to help kids as well as parents understand that they're dealing with. The first evil, which is very apparent, is dragon evil, if you will. It's that the dragon's there, it wants, to, it wants what it wants, it doesn't want what anyone else wants, and it's going to kill anyone who gets in its way, and dragon evil is present. And, and, and the Bilbo has to deal with it. This dragon evil, what am I going to do? How do I deal with this? But you have another evil that's present that's involved in the whole story, which again, the books do a much better job and the movies don't do as good of a job as dealing with, but they're still both present, which is the, the, the evil that's in the dwarfs and especially in Thorin, the dwarf king. It's internal evil. It's not external. It's not scary. It's this internal evil of, I want, I, I want my power. I want my authority. I want my wishes to be done. And it's not out there like the dragon, but it's in here. And it's willing to manipulate. And what Tolkien is ultimately saying to kids and to parents is there's, there's two kinds of evil. If you don't realize that there's two kinds of evil in the world, then you're going to get tricked by one of them. There's dragon evil that's out there, that's in the world, that's often scary and destructive, but there's internal evil. There's your own wishes and desires that can get twisted, and you're willing to hurt people and abuse people to get what you want. And both of those evils must be reckoned with. Both of those evils must be dealt with in some fashion. Now, in the book, he deals with the, the dragon evil prophetically. That is, he, 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 Bilbo, the, the hobbit, doesn't have to deal with the dragon really at all. <laughs> the, the dragon flies away and gets killed, and almost prophetically, right? Which, again, is very similar to the Bible story. The internal evil is dealt with uh, by Bilbo himself taking, I'm going to take my share and try to solve this problem of Thorin's evil by giving by trying to create peace with what I can give away, by a sacrificial gift, if you will. Now, C.S. Lewis has a, my, my opinion, has a better, more gospel-oriented approach to this in the Chronicles of Narnia and his stories, where he has Aslan the, the, as a picture of Christ coming in and solving the evil, both, both sides of the evil, because we deal with both on a regular basis. But but the point is, is that as parents, you are helping your kids to see both evils, both in themselves as well as in the world around them, and you are seeking both to protect them but also to, to expose them. It's interesting that both with C.S. Lewis and with Tolkien, they, they send their kids on an adventure. It's not just learn the rules, keep the rules, stay safe. It's you are in a real world that are good things worth fighting for, and you are on an adventure. <laughs> and if you don't understand this about life, if you think that life is just about, hey, I'm, if I, as long as I keep the rules, then I'm okay. If I teach my kids to keep the rules, then I'm okay. Then you're not going to understand the, the real relationship that God wants to have with you. That, that he wants to put you on an adventure because he wants to answer your prayers and he wants you to see his power and he wants you to experience it in real ways that you can't, see, can't experience sitting in your home smoking your pipe like Bilbo was doing. You are on an adventure and your kids are on an adventure and they need to see both sides of the evils, and they need to see how God provides with both sides of the evils. So, whether you, parents have to choose different issues like homeschooling, public school, Christian school, they have to choose like where to live, and all of those things are key, important decisions. My my point to you would be, in in those decisions, don't protect your kid from one evil and ignore the other evil. Whatever you do, however you balance that out, and there's a lot of ways to do that, just don't ignore the fact that there are two evils out there and that God has provided for both. And therefore, live an adventure with your children 
Whatever you decide, it's good. God's grace can pour into that decision. And so live out that decision in such a way that you help your kids to see answered prayer, to realize that they can do good in the world in the midst of the evils that are in them as well as outside of them. And this, in that sense, nourishes instruction. Why? Because you're helping your kids to see that this is, this is, life is worth living, that there are things that are worth fighting for and things that are worth avoiding. There's things that are worth clinging to and things that are worth, worth giving up. And, and so we discuss this with our children and we help them understand it and we point out, well, here's this and you've got to balance it with this and these are the things you've got to... And so you're, you're engaging your children's minds. You're, you're not just saying, memorize these rote rules. You're helping them to think with all they are and all that they have about life. And this is the way God made us to live. Another area that I think you should pay attention to is the, mat- the maturity difference between boys and girls. I was, ran across this in the meaning of marriage that affects marriage, but it also affects raising children. They said, boys think of maturity as independence. That is, I, I, can, I can stand on my own two feet. I can do my own thing. I can be my own person. And girls overall, again, this is just generalizations, but they're helpful in thinking about things, is that girls are of you maturity as attachment. Like, I can have good relationships. I can, I can maintain those relationships, and I can enjoy those relationships. The problem is, is when parents kind of flip that around sometimes, especially, okay, I'll just, well, I'm going to show the flip here. Pick on moms, first of all. Moms, if you, if you think of, of your boys as, as needing to attach to you, to stay attached to you, and that, that they'll grow maturity as they attach to you and as they have a good relationship with you, you, you don't understand what they're thinking and what, how they view the situation, and you're going to provoke them to anger. They need to be, boys need to be independent. They need to, to know that they can stand on their own two feet, that they can take on the challenges of the world and, and, and know that they can handle them on their own. So don't try to force them to attach to you. Instead, launch them. <laughs> Say, I know you can do this. D- g- figure this out. I, I, I know that you can handle this. Give them confidence that you are behind them. And fathers, your girls don't necessarily want to be independent, strong women. They want to know that they're loved by their father. <laughs> they want to be attached to him, not to stay attached to him, but so that they can attach ultimately to other people in their lives well. And fathers, especially if you are trying to push your girl to be independent, to just do your own thing, I don't care what you do, just do it, and not understand that, that they, want to, they want to know that you're with them, that, they're, that they know that you want to listen to them and care for their needs and provide for them, regardless of what they're going through, then again, you're going to frustrate and provoke your daughters to anger. So again, nourish instruction. Have conversations on both of these. But how do you want to be independent? Well, I want some attachment. how How do we negotiate this? How do we work together on this? Ultimately, this comes down to a question of authority. How are you using your authority in the home? What's the motivation behind the rules in your home? You see, if we live under God's authority, what we're saying is we're, we're, we under, all understand that every, every home has different rules that are just, in a sense, house rules, that every family is just like, we got to live this way because dad has this job and mom's doing this, and, and so we got to live with these kind of parameters. But we should continually be going back and saying, well, what does God say about life? How does God want us to live? If, 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 if we're, you should provide opportunities to talk about God's word and the rules of your home and the rules of life in your home together. If, you, if you're not doing that, you're missing an opportunity to help them to see good and bad authorities. Because God's authority is a wonderful thing to know that God provides for us. He takes responsibility for us, that he, that he seeks to, to guide and direct us. That's a wonderful thing. Often with my younger children, this is a key thing I want them to understand. And so when they're three, four, five, and they're like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do this. And I'm, 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 I know I'm headed for a confrontation. I stop and I'm like, you, you, you do realize that dad loves you. 
that, that he loves you so much, he, he provides for you, he likes to read books to you, we play together, we do all these things together. So if I'm asking you to do this one thing, don't you realize I'm doing it out of love for you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of times, not all the time, that just softens their heart and it stops the confrontation. Why? Because they realize that as their authority, I am giving them something to do right now, not out of, out of personal vindictiveness or out of personal pleasure, but because I love them and I, I'm planning good things for them. But that also means as you raise them up that they should probably be exposed to some bad authorities at certain points in time before they leave your home. Now, that can be easy if you're sending them to a school of any kind, Christian or public, because there's enough bad teachers out there that you can run into a few. There's a lot of good teachers out there. Okay. We have a few teachers in the room. But, uh, but if you're homeschooling, this might be more of a challenge. My, my point would be, get them out in the world under some authority and not hope, it's not the right word, but pray, maybe, that they run into a few bad authorities that you can help them negotiate. Okay, this is a bad authority. How do you handle this? What do you do before they leave your home? Why? Because they're being sent on an adventure and they're going to run into bad authorities. That's just part of the nature of life. You know, this comes down to a lot of ways, balancing two things. Proverbs says, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's not a promise, it's a principle. It's, it's telling parents, look, work at this. Train them up. Do what you can. Does that mean kids are going to turn out perfectly? No, because you, it's not totally up to you as a parent. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's not up to you at all. It's them. They're, they're making their own decisions. When they become an adult, they are their own person. In some ways, it doesn't matter what you do. At the same time, I said, well, then why the proverb? Because, because it's there, because it's still true. <laughs> when you train them up, they, they do, they do good. And, but, so think of Proverbs as life when it goes the way it normally should, and Ecclesiastes as life when it's falling apart. <laughs> okay. And in Ecclesiastes, it says a couple of things that just remind both parents and children about a few things. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, young people, you can do whatever you please. Enjoy life. But God's still on the throne. <laughs> you know, you got to remember that. He goes, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then he goes on and talks about before, you know, basically getting old and, and dying, right? All of our children need to be reminded that death is real. I know in our culture today that we don't like to focus on death. But one of the privileges, and I've said this before, it's for you who've been members for a while, uh, but I'll say it again. One of the privileges I think I have as a pastor of doing funerals is the ability to take my kids along and, and to go through funerals with them. Why? Because, as it says, it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting at times. Teaching your kids about death, helping them see how it's, it's real, it's part of life in this broken, cursed world, but that there is hope after death is so important. And again, this is about nourishing instruction. This is about nourishing instruction. It's just saying, what kind of environment are you creating in your home? If you're creating an environment where you're rejoicing in God's grace and saying, this is God's world. We want to live in God's world. We want to follow his rules because he's a good God to us. We want to understand that the, this adventure that we're on, that we're all on individual adventures, and that therefore we have all individual issues and different things that we have to think through, but we can do it together because we're, we're a family. And parents, I know after being a parent for over 20 years, I don't have all the answers. But I know the one who has the answers. And I go to him with my issues and my problems and my concerns, and I know I don't get it perfect all the time. 
But it's not about that. It's about walking in his grace, knowing his mercy, knowing that he's with me. And so nourish instruction in your home. Nourish that sense of wonder and creativity and delight in living in God's world. And obviously one of the ways, the best ways you can do that is by being in the word together as a family. Spending time in it, discussing it in various ways. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God as profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work in that sense. Like you want to nourish instruction in your home, you want to nourish grace in your home, this is where you start because it's designed to do that. And I know for some parents, you want to get all the rules right. And for some other parents, you want to just make sure that your kid has every experience possible and you're worried that they're going to miss out on something. But may I encourage you that it's not about either of those things. It's about walking with God. It's about knowing God, experiencing his place, his grace. And that means that this place is kind of a messy place because we all have our issue, different issues. We all have different needs. But that in that space, we have a place for grace to be poured out as we think about God's word, as we love one another, as we honor one another, and as we live together to love and honor God. So, parents, will you nourish instruction in your home? Create that environment where you're talking about God's grace and you're living that adventure together. And children, will you honor your parents for doing that work? It's not easy You often feel like you fail, and yet God's grace is with them and in them as they work. So honor them when they try. Why? Because as we do that, we show off God's grace. We speak the truth together in love, and we build up the body. And what a glorious thing that is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for goodness to us. We thank you that we can, we can walk in your instruction. That we can honor those who seek to teach us your word and to, 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 to lift us up and to create us, give us a stable platform from which to live. And Lord, we thank you that we can reflect and remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, because it is your grace, it is your grace that we get to share together. It is your mercy that we get to share together, and we get to do that together as families as well. In your son's name, amen.